morning, morning. I don't know about you, I don't think I will ever, ever tire of hearing stories of where God pursues someone and breaks into their life and helps them know that they belong as part of a family. Like, that's got to be the, the best part of being a part of this, right? It's just so good. I love it. So, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Nick, uh, and Chris and I are the senior pastors here. We're so thrilled that you've shown up here on a Sunday morning. You know, just stories like that. God is moving in Ashford. We are seeing a new level of stuff happening where, you know, we've just started making some videos of stuff to go on the website, and we can't catch up quick enough with filming people's stories of the miraculous in order to get them up on the website quick enough, which is just an amazing situation to be in. Um, And we've been talking about miracles here for what seems like months, and I think it might actually be into the months. Um, And we're heading to the end of that series, but uh, rest assured that we are still expecting to see many miracles even when the series is over. Um, But this is the penultimate one today and uh, I'm talking about the story that we read in the Bible of this miraculous catch of fish. If you've grown up in Sunday school or ever been around kind of school assemblies you may have heard this story told. But the thing I want to start by saying is that this talk is not about learning more about this story. Honestly, like if you want to find out more about this story or a commentary about it or the theology behind it, start with Google. It's a great place to start. It will tell you hundreds of things about it. If you want information, then you can find out millions of bits of information about this. But for me, this is about an invitation into something. God is inviting us into a story. He's inviting us to participate in something which should be life-changing and life-giving. So this is not about learning more about the Bible. If you're here for that, then you'll probably just get through the next 20 minutes or so and then think, oh, I didn't really learn that much. This is about this. It's about something we're invited into to partner with God and take more risks and have courage to trust him when we need to see breakthrough in our lives. And the two things I want to pull out of the story, I'm going to give away the end at the beginning. The two things I want you to know as we look at these story is one, sometimes God might ask you to do something that is entirely counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make sense. It goes against the grain. It goes against your experiences. It goes against the resources that you may have. But he's asking you to do something and it doesn't make any sense. And if you decide to trust your own instincts, your experiences, your understanding, and you don't follow what he's inviting you into, the chances are you might be about to miss out on an amazing breakthrough. Because freedom is found in surrender very often. And we try and go our own way too often. And that's one of the things I want to draw out today. And the second is that sometimes... It is at the very point where something seems impossible and all hope is lost and it's the right moment to give up. It's at that moment that the breakthrough is just around the corner. And we're going to look at that in the context of this story. So if you have a Bible or um, a phone with the internet or any way that you read the Bible, then grab it now. You're looking at Luke chapter 5. If you don't know where to find that, have a look in the contents page. um, And that is a great help. Um, And it's also going to come up here. Luke 5, 1 to 11. So one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. 
He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and I haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. Now, just a couple of things just to ease you into the story, set a bit of context. One is you might hear me talking about Simon or Peter or Simon Peter, all the same guy. So just so you don't get confused at this point, Jesus is in the habit of when people's lives are transformed, he would often give them a new name. And so like in this story, he's referred to as Simon, Simon, Peter and Peter, all the same man for the purposes of this talk. So if I'm, if I'm interchangeably using that, it's not like he has another person that's crept into the story. Something else to know about the context of this is that these fishermen wouldn't have known who Jesus was. They're minding their own business. They're, doing their, they're washing their nets. They've been out fishing all night and caught nothing. And they're at the point where it's game over. They're washing their nets. And then along comes Jesus into something which would have been day-to-day, mundane for them. And he transforms everything in that moment. Something else we know from history is that the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, same thing, would have been teeming with fish. There was a whole load of fish in there, but somehow they had done everything they knew to do all night and caught nothing. That's a pretty big miracle in and of itself. They'd used all their experience, all their skills, everything they knew to do, to do the thing they normally did, and they got nothing. And then Jesus turns up. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have got an area of expertise in your life where you know you're good at something or you're trained in a particular job, and then someone who knows nothing about that area comes and starts to give you advice in that area, it's very annoying. I don't know if you've ever had that experience or if you play a particular sport or you're really good at something or you love something, you know loads about this thing and then someone who doesn't know anything comes up and says, oh, have you thought about doing this? And you want to punch them in the face because you basically are like, uh, and so instead you really kindly just go, oh, thank you so much for your thoughts. That's really kind. And instead, everything in you is like, uh, no, you don't get to speak on this. You're not an expert. Well, here are the fishermen who are expert fishermen, and along comes Jesus, not a fisherman, not a lot of experience in fishing, and he walks into this scene and starts giving advice that is totally counterintuitive to what the fishermen knew to do. We know that fishing, at that time, you got all the fish better at night. Night time was the best time to catch all the fish. We also know that the best place to catch the fish was in the shallow water, And in comes Jesus and suggests that they go out in the daytime 
in the light into the deeper water to get the fish. It made absolutely no sense. And I think one of the biggest miracles is that Simon Peter actually did what Jesus said. Because if I'd been doing my job all night long, a physical job, expecting to get a provision for my family, this is a livelihood, it's not sat next to the bank of a river with a pack of sandwiches and a beer trying to catch a fish. This is like serious fishing. And not that the other type is not serious. <laughs> suddenly, like, what? Suddenly, the fishermen in the room are like, it's very serious, I'll have you know. Um, well, this is a different type of fishing. You've got to picture the mood of the fishermen here. They would have been tired, frustrated, probably quite grumpy. They would have been maybe anxious because they hadn't got the livelihood they needed for provision. So the atmosphere is not good. And yet, Simon Peter decides to obey the command that Jesus gives. Now, I think the clue to why is held in the very first thing he says. He refers to Jesus as master. Now, he's just sat and listened to Jesus preaching and teaching. He's had the best bird's eye view, if you like, of what Jesus had to say. And in that moment, I doubt it would have been possible to have listened to Jesus and not somehow felt the power and authority contained within that man. And having understood there's something about this man, there's something about his authority and his power, a bit like we've just heard, where Joanna said, it feels like I had to follow. That this is, I think, what happened. And Peter says, master, he places himself in a position of submission. He's like, I may know everything there, knows to know there, everything there is to know about fishing, but I'm going to just place myself under your authority. And I would suggest this to you. When we actually really understand the authority and power contained in Jesus, obedience is so much easier. So much easier. Because if we think we know better, even if we're not brave enough to say it, if we think we know better and we think we know how to fix our lives and save our lives and do everything that needs to happen for us to solve the situation in front of us, then suddenly doing something counterproductive is really hard. But if we can genuinely grasp hold of the authority and the power of Jesus, then a position of surrender is so much easier. Because we can say, it turns out, Jesus, that you might just know best. And we all say that. I don't think any of us in this room, whether you feel like you know Jesus or not, I don't think any of you in this room would be so bold as to say, I think I know better than God. But your lives may tell a different story. You may not be brave enough to say it out loud, but your lives may tell a very different story when you become your own saviour and you try and fix your own life. One of the things I love is the fact that Jesus still managed to bring a breakthrough, even though Simon Peter's attitude was potentially quite poor. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a situation where a child has come up to you and said, it's this, and you know in your experience it's totally not that and they're wrong. And they just keep going, no, 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 it is. You need to do this, you need to do this. And there's a point at which you go, okay. And you quite cockily say, okay, let's see how that works out then. Knowing it's not going to work, but basically that you then can prove you're going to do what they say to prove that it's not going to work. I suppose, I don't know, I suppose there may have been a part of Simon Peter who put the net down just to prove nothing was going to happen. You know? <laughs> Maybe, 
Maybe there was a little part of him that thought, okay, here we go. Okay, because you say so, I'll put it over here. And he puts it over thinking, watch this, nothing's going to happen. And then he puts it over and pulls it up. Now, the great news for all of us is it turns out Jesus can transcend our terrible attitudes sometimes and still bring a breakthrough. Um, And if you've ever heard the story of Chris and I planting a church, we were the most reluctant church planters known to man. We really didn't want to do it. We had a terrible attitude about it. We didn't feel God inviting us in to plant a church and go, oh, I just feel so excited about this prospect. You know, I'm so for it. Jesus, tell us more. Instead, we tried to find pretty much any excuse not to engage in the process because we didn't want to do it. We had good jobs. We had a fairly stable life. We had all our friends and family around us. It made no sense at all to move to a place where we didn't know anybody and start a church in our lounge. It was ludicrous. And yet, even with our terrible attitude, God was able to bless it. God was able to say, I'll take the little bit of attitude you've got. And because you're going to be obedient, I'm going to bless it anyway. And that is good news for all of us, unless you never have a bad attitude about anything God asks you to do, in which case you're fine anyway. So, so that's all good. So what I would suggest to you is to consider for a moment this story with Simon Peter knowing all the things to do, all of his experience, all of his expertise. Jesus says, let your nets down over there. I want you to imagine the outcome of the story if he was like, nope. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to look a right fault. If you see my mates are all stood right there, they know about fishing. They're going to laugh at me. If I put my net down over there, it's not going to go well. And what if he just said, no, I'm going to do what I know to do, which is I'll come back out tomorrow night and I'll try again. I'll do all the things I know to do and I'm going to try again. And then I'm going to see what happens. I would suggest that there would have been no fish caught that day if he'd have made that decision. Or there might have been, but it would have happened in the boat next door. Because Jesus might have actually decided, you know what, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. I'll go and find someone else who wants to participate in something amazing. And that sounds a bit harsh, but I think there is definitely a reality check for us. That when we're being invited into something, God is not cross. He's not annoyed if we say no. But there's a sense of, come on, there's so much waiting on the other side of that boat. If only you would listen. If only you would trust me. If only you'd follow what I'm inviting you into. You wait and see. And Sarah and I had a quick chat in the break about the fact that in the Bible, we don't hear, I think we hear a very polished version of the response when he pulls out the fish. These are fishermen, right? These are people who would have had quite a lot of banter. They would have, you know... Imagine this when he's like, this isn't going to happen. And then he pulls out the fish. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine it? Where suddenly, I can imagine there's a reason why some of it has been edited out of the Bible, potentially. (laughs) Because of the shock and the amazement. I can't believe it. He actually did it. He actually went and did it. It flew in the face of everything. And this is what I'm trying to get at here. Self-sufficiency is the enemy of breakthrough. If you keep trying to do it yourself, do it your own way, do it the way you've always done it, do the things that you know should work, could work, use all your experiences. If you keep doing that, I just don't know that you're going to break into the breakthrough. There's something about surrender and saying, maybe you know better, which is incredibly empowering in that moment. The narrative in our heads 
is too much. I need to do the right things. I need to say the right things. If you've got a breakthrough needed, if you're stood in front of someone that needs physical healing, if you need healing, if you're in a stuck situation financially, whatever is going on, if you are anything like me, this is the kind of narrative that goes on. Okay, if I am going to see a breakthrough, I need to say the right words right now. I'm going to need to do the right thing. I need to not do the wrong thing. I probably need to write, read the right books. I'm probably not reading the right books. I should read more about that. I should do this. I should do that. I should be more enough in this situation. I should persuade God somehow to maybe, if he doesn't mind, use me to see a miracle happen. But that is not what Jesus says. That is not what God says about us. Because self-sufficiency is based in this warped, orphan spirit that acts like you're alone in the world. And if you want the breakthrough, you're going to have to get it yourself. That's what happens. We see a breakthrough is needed, and we're like, right, if I want to see this, I'm going to have to be the one that gets it. That is an orphan way of thinking. Because you have a father that says, I've already got everything here. I've got it all available and I can just stand and watch you run around trying to fix this all yourself, if I'm honest, Nick, not very effectively. And I can stand and watch that happen, but I have everything you need here. Would you please just stop and ask? Would you just stop and invite me in? Would you just trust me? Would you be willing to do it a different way, even if you might look stupid and nothing about your previous experiences makes that add up? Would you be willing? Would you be willing to try another way? One of my favorite Bible verses is this from Proverbs 3. It says, trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you. And he will lead you in every decision you make. If you are sat here today and you've got big decisions to make, I would suggest that the best way to approach that is to go to him first rather than wrestle them, feel anxious about them, feel uncertain about them. Instead, trust in him completely. Don't rely on what your experiences tell you. Rely on who he says he is and who he says you are instead. And the thing I feel like God is speaking to me over and over about is this, that very often my breakthrough is on the other side of my self-sufficiency. If I could only get myself out the way... (laughs) You know, that is the biggest block so often. In fact, the Amplified Bible of that verse that we just read says, in all your ways, acknowledge and recognize him and he will make your path straight and smooth, removing obstacles that block your way. I think I'm my biggest obstacle so often. And he's saying, Nick, trust me, lean in, lean in. If you can just lean in, the breakthrough's the other side of you trying to fix it. What about if that narrative of, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this, was instead exactly what Simon Peter said, which is, because you say so. He got it in a moment. 39 years, I'm still working on it. This fisherman in one minute gets it. One minute. He gets it. He says, because you say so, even if in brackets it says, and I don't think it's going to work, by the way, Because you say so. And then that is how we live. That is the invitation. So what do we do? This. You ask. 
You need a miracle. You need a breakthrough. You ask, what do you want to do? You listen. You trust. And then you obey, even when it makes no sense. Because what if the breakthrough was just the other side of that process? And something I'm so struck by about this passage is that Simon Peter, I think, will have been convinced that he wasn't going to see those results. I don't think he got an extra bit of muscle up as he put the nets over, anticipating that there was a whole load of fish coming. I really don't think he did. I think he probably doubted. I think he probably was like, oh, this clearly isn't going to work. But, you know, he seems like an important guy. I should really do what he says. You know, I don't think he expected results, but the breakthrough came anyway. And for one, I am sick and tired of standing in front of sick people and having to do battle in my head as I pray for them about whether it's going to work or not. I find it really tiring. And I feel like this monologue goes on in my head where I'm sat there and I hear the desperation of their situation and I put my hand on them and then I do battle in my head about, well, if it's not going to work, what if it does work? Well, you know, that. I wish I didn't, but that's just, that's just honest. That's just how I feel. And yet what I love here is that Jesus isn't waiting for my expectations to meet his, meet his before he shows up and does something. That's such good news. Such good news. He's not waiting for me to catch up. He's like, Nick, I love the fact you're having a go. And then he shows up. He's not reliant on me having the right expectations before he moves. He moves anyway because of who he is. And then one other thing I just want to say that I feel like specifically for some people here this morning. I want you to think back about the very beginning of the story, what was happening. The fishermen were washing their nets. That was the sign that it was done. You wash your nets when you finished fishing. You don't wash them when you're considering having another go. You wash them when you've already made your mind up that it's done and it's finished. And I want to say to you this morning, please don't wash the nets yet. It's not time to give up yet. Don't make that decision that it's too hard, it's too painful. I can't, I'm, you know, I'm just done. I'm totally done with waiting. I'm just going to wash the nets and be done with that whole thing. I would say don't wash them just yet. Because when you look at the pattern of miracles that you see Jesus do, more often than not, the breakthrough comes at the very moment when it's hopeless. When there's no hope left, when everything's about to be the end, then the breakthrough comes. So look at Jairus' daughter. She was so sick that she actually died while the dad was coming to get help. That's how bad it had got. The lady who was bleeding, 12 years, we know that she spent all her money on doctors. She'd done all the things she knew to do. She'd gone out at night with her fishing nets. She'd done all the things of the equivalent of those fishermen, all the stuff she knew to do, nothing. And then in a moment of desperation when nothing else was possible, Jesus broke in and she was completely transformed. The storm that Jesus calmed wasn't just on the building up. It was at the point where the fishermen who were professional yachtsmen, if you like, were at the point where they thought they were going to die. Then in comes Jesus and it changes. If you are waiting for a miracle or a breakthrough in your life and you are at the point where you're like, I'm done, I would encourage you this morning, don't give up just yet. The breakthrough may just be round the corner. Don't give up just yet. A phrase I've used over and over as we've done this series is, and yet with God. 
You may look at the thing in front of you and say, totally impossible, not moving, stuck, can't do it anymore. And yet with God, it's a game changer. And it's really important that you know that if you are someone who has been waiting and you need a breakthrough and you are at the point of washing the nets and saying, I'm done, I am in no way diminishing the pain of that moment. I'm not telling you to just sort yourself out and not give up. That is not what I'm saying. When you are at the point of total hopelessness and desperation, that is incredibly painful. And I'm not trying to say to you to diminish that. What I am saying is, invite him in. Invite him in. Say to him, it turns out you were right. I can't do it on my own. I need you. Invite him in. Because he is desperate to come and bring the breakthrough. So I would say this, don't wash the nets just yet and end up bowing the knee again to self-sufficiency. I think for some of us here, you feel like you have taken risks, you have trusted God, you have done the thing that was hard and it didn't work out or isn't seeming to work out in the way that you hoped or anticipated. And so you've actually just gone back to doing it yourself again. Because who's the one person you can trust? You, right? You know, if someone's, people let you down all over the place. Life lets you down all over the place. Who's the one person you can rely on? You. And you suddenly go back into that orphan thinking again that says, I'm alone in this and it's on me. And if I'm going to see this change, I'm going to have to fix it. And God is saying to you this morning, please stop it. In a really kind, lovely way. Stop it. (laughs) He's just saying, invite me in. I'm desperate to come into this with you. But I can't get your attention because you're so busy fixing your own life. And frankly, you're really not doing a very good job of it. And I think that if you just invited me in, you may see the breakthrough. We're going to take a moment just to respond to that. And I feel like um, there's a surrender moment that some of us are being invited into, where you have been gripping on with your best trying to get God to do something and that there's a letting go that needs to happen that says my self-sufficiency is not working anymore and I want to surrender into that place. If that is you this morning, we're gonna, um, we are going to just sing this song or you can just listen to this song and listen to Chris singing the song. But I would encourage you, if, that is, if you are in a place of saying, I don't want to do it on my own anymore, Or you've been in a place of surrender and you can feel the pull of coming back to fixing yourself again. I would encourage you just now in this moment, just with your hand on your heart or your hands open, it's not magic, it's just a posture of receiving, just to sing this song and to just invite God, just say, surrender, I'm just giving it back to you. Because there is such freedom in being able to say, but because you say so, then I will do this. Father, I thank you that you say that surrender is a place of safety with you. For those people here today who are carrying the weight of hopelessness and desperation, I thank you that you say it is not time to wash the nets just yet. I thank you that you are eternal hope in hopeless situations. You are possibility in impossible situations. And I 
thank you that you say that that doesn't come through our efforts and our performance and our trying harder, but just in a surrender as sons and daughters who know we have a good father. And just as we stand in this moment, I just ask people just to close their eyes where you're stood. If you are here this morning and for the first time you feel like you would like to say yes to following God, even if you're not entirely sure what that means, but there's a yes moment for you today that says, if this is true, if he really is like that, then I want to follow him. I want to commit myself to following him, whatever that looks like. If that is you, that just as people have their eyes closed, I would really encourage you to just put your hand up and just give me a wave. Um, it just means we would love to pray for you afterwards. We have a little gift to be able to give you. So just in this moment, if that's you, we'll just take a moment if you want to give me a wave. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence and we thank you that your presence goes with us as we go from here. I thank you already for the miracles and the breakthroughs we're seeing in this community and I thank you that we're just scratching the surface and we will see so many more. Help us to keep giving our self-sufficiency back to you as we go from here this week. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.